Open up your Bibles this morning to the book of Malachi, chapter 3. Malachi, chapter 3. As you turn there, let me also ask you to mark your calendars for Christmas Eve as we have our annual traditional candlelight Christmas Eve service, which will be at 6 p.m., 6 p.m. It's a wonderful night. We're going to be singing some Christmas carols, reading the Christmas passage in uh, the New Testament there, and um, praying and just worshiping Christ. So the service lasts about 45 minutes. It's a very short service. Candlelight Christmas service, come Christmas Eve, 6 p.m. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Help us now as we continue in the book of Malachi. And Lord, help us to see some deep doctrinal truths today that we could use as foundational in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for your holy character and your nature as we see in your word. Help us now to make much of you. In your name we pray. Amen. Last week we saw how God was telling Israel that his patience for them was reaching an expiration. The way Malachi put it was that you are making the Lord weary with your words. We saw that the goodness of God is even seen in giving men and women time to repent. But even those days of repentance do not last forever. Of course, as we've seen thus far in the book of Malachi, the nation of Israel was a very backwards people at this time. They had not really learned their lesson from their Babylonian exile. And they had now returned to the land 100 years later, and their hearts had grown cold towards God once again. They once again had allowed idolatry back into the nation. They were not treating one another fairly according to the law of God. And they were treating their marriages with complete disrespect, as we saw. The priests were not doing their job either, as they were allowing things that God had forbidden and did not make much of God's name. And so we see now the whole book of Malachi is a burden. It's an oracle. It's a burden. And we said it's the burden of apathy. This extreme apathy that we've seen so far in this part of Israel's history, we've seen them even trying to redefine what truth is. And last week we saw at the end of Malachi 2 and beginning of 3, that they are even saying that good is evil and that evil is good and that evildoers are pleased in the sight of God. It's backwards. This is what apathy does to you. It creates, it corrupts your doctrine and understanding of who God is. They were also accusing God of a great injustice. They were asking such questions like, where are you, God? Why have you been back to the temple? You see, the temple's been rebuilt at this point. The city walls of Jerusalem have been rebuilt. But the glory of God has not yet returned to the temple as of the days of old. The covenant blessings and that they were expecting now that they were back in their land had not materialized. And they're asking God, where are you? Where is this God of justice? Why don't we see you? Well, they aren't listening. Because the first two chapters of Malachi makes it very clear that God has rejected their worship, their priest, and now them in their worship. They accuse God of being unkind to them, but in reality, God has been nothing but patient 
and gracious. And we see this in our lives too, right? I mean, we're no different than the nation of Israel. In that way, that our hearts grow cold, we allow things in our lives to take us sideways and backwards. But here's the question that must be asked, because you and I, no matter how patient you are, your patience runs out as well. And maybe you have some family members like the Bags family we saw last night that your patience is very thin with. But here's the question, why has God been so patient with them? in their rebellion. Does God, is God patient with them because of them? And the answer is no. And the answer is found in verse 6, which will be the one verse we go through in Malachi today. Malachi 3, 6. This is what the Lord says. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. The reason that God is patient with them is because His faithfulness to them is rooted in His faithfulness to Himself. God's patience to them is not based on how awesome they are. It's based on how awesome He is. God's patience to them is based in the character and the nature of God. If not, they'd be gone a long time ago. And so would we. It's rooted in God himself. And this is why God says, Therefore, therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. Because again, the things that they were allowing and participating in and accusing God of does not require God to be merciful whatsoever. Because God is faithful to himself, we are the benefactors of that faithfulness to himself. We want God to be faithful to me, but in reality, that can't happen because it's not about you and it's not about me. But when God is faithful to himself, the benefactors are his people. We benefit by God's glorying in his name by God glorying in His Word. And this word consumed, therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. The word here in the original language means literally finished or brought to an end. Therefore, children of Israel, you are not finished (laughs) because I would have been finished with you a long time ago. But you see, if God had done that, If God had ended the nation of Israel when they deserved to be ended, this would make God a promise breaker, a covenant breaker. If God ended Israel, the messianic line would be destroyed, and thus all the promises of God would be for nothing. God put his name on the line when he told Abraham, I will bless you, and through you I will bless the whole world. God put his name on the line when he promised Jacob and David and the prophets what was to come. And for God to now say, I'm done with all of you, would be to go back on himself. And this is the reason, my friends, why God's faithfulness is the way it is. Because of him. 
If God had ended Israel, there would be no Christmas. Think about that. I think there was a song that the choir sang last night about what if there was no Christmas or something like that. What a beautiful song. No Christmas, no Jesus, no Messiah. How do we know that we will ever make it to heaven? I mean, I know who I am. How about you? I mean, I'm not talking, do you, if you know who I am? I'm talking, do you know who you are? And we all, if we're all honest, will know that, yeah, if it were based on my faithfulness to God, we would never make it. But it's based on his faithfulness to himself. And this is what Paul tells Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, he says this, Even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Now, why? For he cannot deny himself. See, the faithfulness of God is not rooted in your good works or your awesomeness or your good behavior, but in his holy character. In fact, God is incapable of denying himself. He's incapable of going back on his promises because he's a truthful God, a holy God, a faithful God. And this is the reason that he is faithful to these people. He is faithful because he is in his nature faithful. And by being faithful to himself, he is glorified. And the people who don't deserve it, by his grace, benefit as a result. In fact, this was in stark contrast to what we see what was happening in the nation. And when we read the context of their unfaithful marriages to one another... At the end of chapter 2, God says that you have been unfaithful to one another. How was this? The men of Israel were divorcing their wives to marry other women from pagan countries who were idolaters. So even though they had made a vow to the wife of their youth, when a new woman from a foreign land comes along, he divorces his wife just to go after the new woman. They were not being faithful because they loved their wives. I'll be faithful to you until you upset me. I'll be faithful to you until you get older. I'll be faithful to you until you can't bear me any more children. No. In fact, this is what God is trying to tell them. If I had treated you the way you treat your wives there would be no nation of Israel. Just like you divorce your wife, you want me to divorce you and forget about you and consume you with my anger and wrath because that's all you deserve. You see, their faithfulness to their wives were based on circumstances and feelings. But God's faithfulness to them is founded on himself, his nature, and his word. It goes beyond that. God is not just faithful to his word and glorying in himself. And this is why Israel is not brought to an end. But look what the first part of that verse says in verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. God is patient towards them because it is in his nature to do so. God's patient, patience is constant, never wavering. Now, last week we said that Patience has an expiration. This doesn't mean that God's patience wavers up and down and the one day they make God mad and send them over the edge, they're done. 
No, it means that God is even faithful to his word, knowing the day of repentance is soon coming to an end, not because he's moody or cranky. This is what we call the immutability of God. The immutability of God. The word immutable means unable to change. This is rooted in the character and nature of God. He is immutable. See, you and I are mutable, right? We are ever-changing. I mean, our bodies produce thousands and thousands of cells. Every day they die. We have new cells that come in. You change your mind about what you're going to have for lunch. I mean, how long have you stared at the menu at the restaurant before the waitress comes? There's always something that changes about us. We change our mind. We change our hairstyles. Well, some of us do. Um, (laughs) But God is not like that. There is nothing in the Lord that changes. Nothing. This is something that once you understand that will help you because God's nature of being immutable is connected to all of his attributes. The attributes of God are just, in other words, say the characteristics of God. It's what makes God be God, right? Now you say, well, change is a good thing. Well, yes, when there's a reason to change. A person who is unwilling to change when they need to change is no good. But God is not in need of changing. He is holy and perfect and pure. And because He is holy and perfect and pure, there's no need to change into anything else because if not, He wouldn't be perfect, would He? If He could change, then then He wasn't perfect before because then He just got better because He just changed something about Himself. So, the attribute of God of immutability is so important to understand. And we are so unlike that. So unlike that. James 1.17 helps us to understand this from a different perspective too. Same concept, just a little different verbiage. In James 1.17, James writes, Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Within God, there is no variableness. Variable means changing facts and circumstances. You know, what are the variables in this experiment to make sure that we get the right conclusion every time? There's no variables with God. There's no varying variables. It's always constant truth. Nor shadows. As the sun moves... Shadows change, right? As, as a kid, I was fascinated with shadows. I couldn't sleep at night. You know, I'd be, make shadow puppets on the wall. You know, my mom said I had to go to bed. I didn't want to go to bed, so what I'd do, I'd entertain myself to death with shadow puppets on the wall, right? There is no shadows with God because a shadow of God would mean that the light has moved, which means he looks different and something about him has changed. But this is what James says. There's not even any shadows with God telling us that he is always the same, Always the same. I, the Lord, do not change. And therefore you, O house of Jacob, are not consumed. The immutability of God is the answer to them why 
they are not done. You deserve to be done, but because I, the Lord, do not change, I already knew you. Before I chose you to be a people, before I called Abraham, I knew you were going to go to Egypt. I knew you were going to go to Babylon. I know you're coming back and still going to fail me. And yet I made you promises, knowing that you would fail. But I have not wavered one bit. I knew exactly what I wanted to do through you. I know exactly why I called you. And no matter if you do your part, I'm going to do mine. I do not change. I am not giving up on my plan. It's impossible for God to give up on his plan. For God to give up on his plan would mean that he was wrong. And of course, we know that's not true. Understanding the immutability of God is such an important thing. This is why we're spending so much time on this one verse. And understanding it through his attributes, is we're going to do that in a second. But understanding first that God does not change in his essence. There's nothing in his essence that changes. What makes God to be God in his person is A, God is eternal. He is eternal. What does that mean? God does not grow old. You and I grow old. Let's look around this room. We're all older than we were yesterday. And if you participated in the program, we're feeling much older today than we did yesterday. In fact, it's impossible for God to grow old because there is no time with God. Now, you and I are creatures of time. We go through this world and the seconds and the minutes tick by. We live in this reality of space-time and we're stuck here. We can't go anywhere else. We're, we're captivated by time, but not God. God is outside of time. God is not just stuck in the present. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's outside of time. He's in the past at the same time. He's in the present at the same time. He's in the future. God is not rolling with time as we go. He's everywhere in time at the same. Think about that. There is no time with God. Time marches on, time changes, but God remains the same. God doesn't have a beginning and he doesn't have an end. We have a birthday and we have a day of death, but not God. This is what the psalmist says. We read this earlier in the service, Psalm 92. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God, so the psalmist says. From before everlasting to everlasting in the forward future. You're the same God. He says in Psalm 102 as well, verse 25. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. This doctrine of immutability is everywhere in the Scriptures. God is the same. His years have no end. Why? There's no time with God. He is eternal. God is not just eternal, but He's also self-existent. Self-existent. What does this mean? God wasn't created. Nobody made Him. Therefore, His existence 
is not reliant on anything or anyone. He, he didn't need anyone to exist, and he doesn't need anyone to continue to exist. You and I are not like that, right? <laughs> if you have parents who conceived you, you needed someone to bring you into this world, and you need to eat and sleep and drink water and have good health and hygiene in order to continue living. You and I are dependent upon God to even breathe our next breath. But not God. God is self-existent. He never changes. We change as we go on. Not God. And this self-existence is even found in His covenant name for, with Israel. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, we see the immutability of God even in His name. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, I thought as a child, that's a strange name. I am. But when you really understand what it means, it blows your mind. God is always I am. He's never I was. He's never I will be. He's always I am. Why? He doesn't change. Past, present, future. That's how we see time. But God is always I am. God is immutable in his essence, but he's also immutable in his nature. God is self-sufficient. In Acts chapter 17, verse 24... The God who made the world, this is Paul's sermon on Mars Hill, and everything in it, Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to mankind life and breath and everything. We see in the immutability of God that he is self, not only self-existent, but he is self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. You and I are needy people. If we don't eat today, then we will be hungry, which means then we will later be hangry. Why? Because there's a change in us. What changed? I have no food in me, right? My blood sugar drops, right? My stomach is growling. I need to eat. I need to sleep, but not God. There's no mutability within him, like Paul says here. He does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything. See, if God has a need, he's no longer immutable because something changed about him. God is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. This doesn't mean that God gets stronger as time goes on. No, he's always the same. He is always all-powerful. God doesn't need to go to the gym. We don't have to wait for him to be a stronger God. He is already all-powerful, and nothing is impossible for him. There's nothing that God has to wait a hundred years or a thousand years for him to do later because he's going to be a better God then. See, there is no God 2.0. There is no God in beta mode and now God in beast mode. You know, it's, it just doesn't work like that. He's omnipotent. He's not only omnipotent, he's omniscient. Omniscient means he's all-knowing. God doesn't ever learn anything. Think about that. 
God doesn't have to go to school or get a degree. He doesn't have to observe creation to understand it. He already knows everything about everything. There is nothing new to God. If God learned anything, then he would not be immutable. He doesn't change in his learning or understanding. He already knows it. This is what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 40. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? No one. Those are rhetorical questions. No one has ever taught God anything. Why? He's the one who knows everything about everything. Amazing. God is omnipresent, meaning he's all present everywhere. There's nowhere where God is not. God doesn't change locations. He's not here and he's not, he's not here and not there. I love it when sometimes people say, boy, we were in church and boy, God really showed up. Like, where was he? Like, did he just go on vacation or I mean, now, what we mean, people mean by that is that they felt his presence or they were really moved by the sermon or this music or whatever. We know that. But God never leaves. We've never, listen to me, we've never been apart from the presence of God, ever. No matter where you go in creation, God is there. If God were ceasing to be in a certain place, that means he would not be immutable. He's everywhere present. This is what the psalmist says in Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God is immutable in his omnipresence. He's immutable in his essence. He's immutable in his nature. He's also immutable in all of his perfections. Meaning everything that God does. Think about this. He's faithful. God has never not been faithful. Think about that. His faithfulness is not wavering. He's not more faithful to me today than he was yesterday. Sometimes we translate, well, I had a good day. God was really good to me today. Well, was he not good to you yesterday? No, you're just defining goodness in your own terms, which is not good. God is always good. He never ceases to be good, right? God is merciful. He never ceases to be merciful. Even, even when he takes a person home early, it's merciful. God would rather take that person home early than let them continue to destroy their lives in sin. God is never not merciful. God is never not faithful. God is never not gracious. Well, Dan, not everyone is saved. Yes, but the fact that you, had, you lived 70 years without Christ, sinning against the holy God for 70 years is nothing but grace. Nothing but grace. God has never been but gracious to you. God didn't begin to be gracious to you when you were saved. We all received common grace from the day of our birth. The psalmist says, 
God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. He's gracious and never ceases to be gracious. God is loving. And he never ceases to be loving. You may say, how can a, how can a faithful God love people and then create a hell to send people there? How can a loving God do that? The answer is look at the cross, my friend. You want to see the immutable love of God? Look at the cross. You want to see the immutable wrath of God? Look at the cross. Because in Jesus, they both collided and they were not in contradiction. Joined together beautifully, showing us the immutable God. God doesn't, here's the deal. God doesn't have good days or bad days. He doesn't have to worry about waking up on the wrong side of the bed or you don't have to wait for God to drink his coffee first. God is not evolving into a better God. He is holy and unable to improve. He's already perfect. His faithfulness doesn't change. His goodness doesn't change. His mercy doesn't change. His grace doesn't change. His love doesn't change. God is not, God is not up in heaven saying, you know, I don't know if I love Dan the same way as I did yesterday. Dan was not so faithful to me today. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do with Dan. In spite of me, his love for me never changes. See, because God is perfect in all his perfections. Here's the point. I can't do anything today to make God love me anymore. And I can't do anything today to make him love me any less. Why? Because of me? Because he's faithful to himself. He's faithful to himself who sent Dan a savior to die on the cross for his sins and fully was satisfied by the wrath poured out upon Christ so that he looks on Dan through faith, by Dan's faith, and justifies him, declares him to be righteous. And in Christ, I am fully loved, fully stand and write relationship with God. Why? Because of me? No, because of Christ. And because God is faithful to himself. You can't make God love you anymore or love you any less. And I used to think this as a kid. I was in a very legalistic atmosphere when I was a child and grateful for my church that I grew up in, but it was very legalistic. And I felt, boy, if I didn't go to church one day, I was on God's bad side. If I didn't read my Bible, you know, two hours a day, then God was not going to be happy with me. And so I need to do all these things to make him love me more. Dan just didn't have an understanding of an immutable God who doesn't change, even though I change. He's faithful to himself in spite of me. We give every reason for God to change something about himself because of us, and yet he doesn't. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. He's immutable in his perfections, and this comes from his holiness. He is holy, 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 never ceasing to be holy. God not only does he change in his perfections, he doesn't change his will. Job 23, 13 says this, but he is unchangeable. 
And who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. See, if God were to change his will, that means his will was wrong. And he didn't know what you were going to do. And if he knew what you were going to do, then he would have decided differently. And then, that you see the rabbit hole you go down there? And you contradict all this biblical doctrine. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God does not change His will. God does not change His mind. God does not change His word. Even though some people like to do that today. They do. Now the new game is this. Well, I know Paul said that, but you know I don't see anything in Jesus' uh, sayings in the Gospels that Jesus said that was wrong. What? See, that's the game people like to play to justify their own sin. It's crazy. God's word does not change. Isaiah 48 says this, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. See, there's change in grass. We all know because we have to cut it, right? The flower fades. You know, you buy your wife beautiful flowers, but they're going to fade away over time. But the word of our God is not like grass and flowers or people. It stands forever. What can we conclude from the truth that God is immutable? It's so important. And here it is. If God were not immutable, He would not be God. Plain and simple. He would not be the God the Bible depicts. Because God is immutable, you could trust Him. You could trust Him. No matter how painful life is, no matter how terrible the things happen in your life, whether by your stupid decisions or other people's sins against you, trust Him. He is faithful and He will not change. His word is true and cannot return back void. You trust Him. You can go to bed tonight and say, God, I don't have to worry if there was a better plan and you would have sent that because... God, because you decided to improve something later. No, God is immutable. I trust you, God, no matter what happens today. You are sovereign. But here's the thing. We see this also, not only, of course, in the deity, the divine Godhead, the Trinity, but we see this perfected also in the Lord Jesus We see that the Lord Jesus is also immutable. And, of course, there was a time where In the incarnation, he became a man, right? Jesus was not omnipresent. He was in one place at one time while he was on the earth. This is what Philippians 2, he limited himself by becoming a man, taking on the form of a servant. We know what the purpose of that was for, but the Son of God is also immutable in all of his perfections and essence and nature as well. He did not begin to exist in Bethlehem. He is the eternal Son of God. Hebrews 13.8 tells us this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. What does that mean? But that he is immutable. He's the same. He doesn't change past, present, or future. And also Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Speaking of the Lord Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God. 
and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Friends, if God ceased to be immutable, the entire universe would collapse on itself. It is the immutability of the power of God that keeps the stars where they are. It keeps the earth just in the perfect Goldilocks zone. That people say that is by accident that life exists on earth. It's the immutability of God and the faithfulness towards His creation in telling a story. He upholds the entire universe by the word of His power. I'm telling you, the immutability of God runs deep. If God is not immutable, He is not God. If God is not immutable, we're not here. Creation doesn't exist. He upholds it because He doesn't change. If God is not immutable, then no human being could ever be saved. For if God was as cranky and as fickle as we are, there would be no hope, no hope for the human race. Take great comfort in this verse. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O you, children of Jacob, are not consumed. I pray that you will see that. Maybe this is brand new for some of you. Maybe this is a sweet and gentle reminder for others. But remind yourself today of the faithfulness of God in His character, in His essence, in His nature, in His perfections, in His will, and what that means for you and I today. Because it changes everything, because it's true. Now, as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's table, let's think of the glories of Christ and His immutable nature and His immutable perfections that He accomplished for us. Jesus was born to die. That's the message of Christmas. He was born to die. That's why he came. For this reason, the Son of Man came to destroy the works of the devils, what John tells us. And to save a people for himself. And now he's told us to remember him. Why? Because we change. Our memories change. You forget things. You need to be reminded of things like I do. We need to be encouraged by what happened that day. Jesus Christ died for us, and he rose again on the third day. His body was crushed, his blood was spilled. It's an amazing mystery that an immutable God took on human flesh. Amazing mystery. Christmas is so far more glorious than you will ever imagine. So much more glorious than you'll ever imagine. So much miraculous than you will ever imagine. Unbelievable. But it's true. May we go to God today glorying in His immutability. Glorying in the cross and reminding ourselves as we eat of the bread and drink of the cup that God, I deserve nothing but hell. I deserve nothing but judgment. But you God, but you, God you are so faithful to yourself and I benefit from that. I benefit from the fact that Jesus was faithful, even though I'm not. Oh, Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the gospel. And then the response to that is repent of your sins. Confess and repent of your sins in this time that's coming. And run to Christ in repentance. Cling to him. He loves you, church. He loves you.
Let's pray. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this doctrine of immutability. Lord, such an important thing to pause today to reflect upon and to understand what that means, not only in your nature, but also in our lives. We don't exist with a changing God. We don't exist in a changing universe. But God, you are so faithful to yourself, and as a result, you're faithful to us. Help us now, God, to remember Christ as we've been commanded, as we partake of the symbols of his broken body and his blood. Fill us with the presence of Christ. Renew our faith. Strengthen us by this means of grace. In your name, amen.